0: Welcome back to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. Today we're in the second episode for Holy Week, focusing on the Liturgy of the Passion. Let's listen together to a reading from the Prophets, a reading from the Psalms, and the Gospel reading for this week. Near the end of the episode, we'll listen to the reading from the Epistle from the Book of Philippians.
1: Liturgy of the Passion, Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 9a. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare me guilty. Psalm 31 verses 9 to 16. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery, and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Luke 23, verses 1 to 49. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee where he began, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had been wanting to see him for a long time, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people. And here I have examined him in your presence, and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted out together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder and he handed Jesus over as they wished. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts, but all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things.
0: Well, as we enter into Holy Week, sometimes it takes a poet to actually invite us in to the beauties of this week that feels so dark at times. So Mary Oliver, one of my favorites, she has a poem called The Kingfisher, where she talks about a kingfisher coming up out of the waves and carrying a silver fish in his mouth and eating it. And she says, I think this is the prettiest world, so long as you don't mind a little dying. And that phrase really strikes me and speaks to me deeply as we begin Holy Week together, because we do live in a beautiful world, and as long as we understand the purpose of death and dying. And as long as we're able to give ourselves to it appropriately, beautiful new things can come about. So Holy Week, of course, is really the high point of the Christian year. And we are heading towards the greatest moment of our life together as Christian people, the moment of the resurrection. But we have some dark passages to go through first, um, because Jesus must move through his own uh, suffering, his crucifixion, his burial, until finally he comes to the resurrection. You know, Protestants tend to just celebrate Easter. We're getting a little better at celebrating Good Friday and being quiet through the waiting of Saturday. But Catholic folks understand that all of Holy Week is a week of total surrender to worship. And to surrender ourselves to worship during Holy Week is really to structure the whole week around walking with Jesus through these events of his life, learning from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And if we can clear space in our week and see the whole week as being holy, particularly as we come to Wednesday, which we call Tenebrae, um, Thursday, which is a time of commemorating the Last Supper and Jesus washing his disciples' feet, then moving from there into the darkness of the betrayal, um, his sufferings and agonizing in Gethsemane. All those days from Wednesday through Sunday are really important days for walking with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And if we can order our lives to create even more space here in Holy Week, there is much that Jesus wants to teach us. And this surrender to worship also helps us to participate in this great opportunity to walk with Jesus through these culminating events of his life here on earth and to be alert and awake to everything that Jesus wants to teach us along the way. You know, walking with Jesus is a central metaphor for the spiritual life. There are things that we learn by staying alert and walking with Jesus during Holy Week that we simply cannot learn in any other way. So Just a Closer Walk With Thee is an old hymn that sort of speaks to this metaphor of walking with Jesus as a way of really learning how to be a Christian. And in this week, some of the harder lessons and mysteries of our faith are lived out right in front of our eyes, and there are lessons to be learned, and they are best learned as we walk intimately with Jesus on this path that he had to walk. Walking with Jesus during Holy Week is a challenging invitation because it means that we have to stay present to things that are very difficult. It's one thing to learn how to be like Jesus on Palm Sunday, like we've already discussed, when everything is as we hoped it would be. We all hope that if we follow Jesus, we will have all these moments of celebration when everyone around us is joining together in worship, and we too get to enjoy the pomp and circumstance that come from walking closely with Jesus. But it's quite another thing to learn how to be like Jesus in the midst of betrayal and violence and pain and struggle and death. In fact, Barbara Brown Taylor comments with tongue-in-cheek, I want to stop about a day short of following Jesus all the way, and don't we all? But the call here for this week is to go all the way with Jesus in his sufferings. It's interesting, and more than interesting, it's ironic that this dark night of the soul for Jesus begins with a kiss. It begins with the kiss of a friend. And so the irony has to do with the fact that Jesus has invested himself so fully and so deeply in these 12 relate in these relationships with his 12 disciples during his brief time here on earth. He gives them everything. He gives them um, all these opportunities for spiritual learning. He gives them love. He gives them a place of prominence in his life. He washes their feet. Um, And now, at the beginning of these dark days, they're brought on by the betrayal of one that he had given himself so completely to. And so for me, one of the things that is most poignant about Jesus has to do with his expressions of longing for companionship during these last days. From the first moments of his life in ministry, he invited those whom he wanted to be with him. That's the first invitation in Mark 3, those whom he, he wanted to be with him. Jesus accepted his ultimate aloneness, as we all must, and that's one of the hard things about being human, but still throughout his life he consistently expressed longing for intimacy and friendship with those that he had chosen. And he expressed this in different ways throughout his life. In fact, there's one time in the New Testament where Jesus is offering some really challenging teachings and a lot of people are walking out, you know, like people who walk out of a performance when it's not up to snuff. And uh, people are leaving all around him and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? Um, Because there's this poignant desire that he seems to have, to have a few people around him who will not leave. And then as their relationship developed, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And one of the crowning achievements of Jesus' life was that he loved his own until the end. So when he does the washing of the feet, that whole experience is preceded by the statement, having loved his own until the end. That was one of Jesus' crowning achievements was his faithful love to those that he had chosen to be with him. And then as he gets deeper and deeper into Holy Week, it's like his his longings for companionship actually deepens and he's more open about it. He's more open and asking for people to accompany him uh, through the the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays and he begs God for a different way than having to go through the cross. Uh, there was something about knowing that he had close people present, even though he went to be utterly alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that God would take this cup from him. He still wanted to know that his friends were nearby. And maybe you have an experience like that, too. I know I've recently had a bit of a health scare, and I remember just how deeply important it was for my close ones to be around and just to stay in touch with me. And so that's the way it is for Jesus. He just wants to know that his close ones are around, and you may be able to resonate with that feeling as well. So as his agony deepened, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, he invites those closest with him, Peter, James, and John, to come to be with him more closely, to come with him farther than the rest. And as he begins to grieve more openly and to struggle with what's before him, he asks them specifically to stay awake, to stay with him, to stay aware of what he is going through. And I think what he understands and why he is trying to sort of coach his disciples is to say, it's really hard to be present with people when they're going through dark things. It can be exhausting. It can be really uncomfortable. Many of us don't even like to consider pain. If we can avoid it, we would like to stay away from it. And he knows that all of us as human beings have a tendency to check out when things become too much to bear. And it's only those who are closest that stay with us to the end. And so as we enter into Holy Week, we might also be able to hear deep in our own beings Mm -hmm. Jesus saying to us, stay with me, stay present to this pain, stay present to the struggle, Don't abandon me. Don't leave me right now. Jesus is asking for us to stay with him as friends. And so when I think about walking with Jesus through Holy Week, I see it as keeping vigil. Uh, I see it as an act of friendship, that only those who are closest stay with us to the end. And so every year at this time, we have an opportunity to go all the way in reliving the events of Jesus' last days here on this earth. And like the first disciples, we have the opportunity to choose as best we can to deepen our friendship with Christ by communing with him and learning from him as we walk each step of the way. Do you hear that invitation in your own soul? Are you willing to be a friend to Jesus this week and to walk with him the whole way. Where is that private place that I can cultivate with Christ to be present with his sufferings and to learn the very personal lessons that he has for me, to learn the very personal implications, the very personal applications that he wants to make to my own life in the places where I am suffering? And so we can be very intentional about seeking ways to walk with Jesus through the events of this week. And one of the ways that we do that as Christians is by walking through the stations of the cross, by walking through the movements of Jesus' journey to the cross, starting with the betrayal uh, that takes place in in the Last Supper. Uh, Right after the Last Supper, Judas leaves because Jesus has certainly been hinting that there will be a betrayer. Henry Nouwen has mentioned the fact that Community is the place where the betrayer always is. Uh, that is one of those spiritual truths that I just hate. By the way, because I like to think of community as being an extremely safe place where you're always safe, but Henry now is is pointing out the fact that community is the place where the betrayer always is, and that was true for Jesus. The betrayer was right there in the midst of the twelve, and so. Um, he leaves when he realizes that Jesus is on to him, but he goes forward with his dark plan for betraying Jesus. And so the stations of the cross begin with the betrayal. It begins with the kiss, where Judas comes up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek as a way of indicating that Jesus is the one that the, the um, soldiers want to take in order to crucify. And then we move all the way through that to his trial, to the place where he is flogged to the place where he endures great humiliation, to the place where the very same people who had been cheering for him on the road to Jericho are now yelling, crucify him, crucify him, where all those who have been close to him betray him, except for the women. I do want to point that out, that the women were the ones who were the most faithful on the journey. They seem to be the ones who were least afraid, along with the disciple whom Jesus loved, the apostle John. Those were the ones who stayed closest and refused to betray him. And so we have this opportunity and this invitation to walk with Jesus all the way to the cross and then to be there as witnesses to his sufferings on the cross, to be there, though, as witnesses to his own sense of agency where um, we see that he gives up his life on his own terms, that he dies before anyone else because he gives up his life. It is not taken from him. And in the book of John, he makes that really clear. He says, no one takes my life from me. I will lay it down at my own accord and I will take it up again. And so Jesus actually cries out, he gives up his spirit, Um, he dies there, and there are just a few, uh, the Marys, the women are there, um, and the closest disciple, and they witness him giving his last breath, taking his last gasp. We're there when uh, Jesus receives the bitter wine, the vinegar, um, because he's thirsty, um, we're there when he breathes his last. We're there when they come and they puncture his side with, with the spear. We're there as Joseph of Arimathea takes his body down from the cross to bury it. And so um, as the week goes on, we too deepen our practice. And so I am praying and hoping that many of you will have a way to walk the Stations of the Cross during Good Friday in particular. I'm praying that you will have at least one other person or a small community of people who are willing to take that journey with you. Um, I'm praying that Saturday might be a quiet day in which you reflect on the places in your own life where death has taken place, where you experience and are present to your own emptiness, um, the empty place that's left when a death has taken place, and that you wait um, in a reflective way on Saturday to see how God brings forth new life in your own life. And so as we conclude our time together here, let's listen together to the epistle reading for this week in which the Apostle Paul instructs us and admonishes us to let this mind, the mind of Christ, be in us, especially as it has to do with Jesus' journey of death, burial, and resurrection. And then, as always, I will close us with a prayer.
1: Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
0: Lord Jesus Christ, prepare our hearts to walk with you the rest of the way. Help us to find ourselves in this part of your journey, and not run from the pain and the unanswerable questions contained within it. Draw us to sit with you at the Last Supper, where you shared your heart so tenderly with your friends, and you faced your betrayer honestly and without malice. Help us to stay awake in the garden of that dark night, as you wrestle with the death and dying that must take place in order for God's will to come forth in your life. Grant us the wisdom to know as you did when it is time to lay down our life so that someday we can take it up again. Give us the grace to endure the pain of witnessing your humiliation and rejection so that we can more gracefully endure our own. Help us to be gut-wrenchingly honest as you were when you cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Grant us the courage to let go when it is time. Grant us the patience to wait with you in the silence of death until you call forth resurrection. And as we pray, we know that you alone are the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in you will never die, And so come to us and speak new life into our dyings. Look upon us as we stand at the threshold of our own entombing experiences. Remove the grave clothes which bind us. Set us free, for it is in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you so much for your support of the Transforming Center and this podcast. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen.